and welcome to My Favorite Theorem. I'm your host, Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah. And this is your other host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. How are you doing, Evelyn? I'm all right. Uh, I am, you know, hanging in there in the winter as a displaced Texan. It's, um, not, it's not even and, winter yet. Yeah, well, somehow I managed to make it to the end of the season without dying every year that I'm outside of Texas. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the first few uh, cold, cold days really um, throw me for a loop. Yeah, well, my son's in college uh, now, you know, and, and, and they had snow last week. That's Well, the South got a bunch of snow. Yeah. Is, is he in South Carolina? Is that right? In North Carolina, yeah. And uh, he's never driven in snow before, and we told him not to, but of course he did. So Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no incidents. It was okay. Yeah. Yep. So we're very glad to uh, have our guest today, who I believe is another displaced Texan, uh, Francis Sue. So, uh, Francis, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, uh, Evelyn and Kevin. I uh, sure. I uh, I'm a professor of mathematics at Harvey Mudd College, uh, and uh, that's a small science and engineering school in Southern California. And uh, Evelyn is right. I am a displaced Texan from uh, from a, a small town in South Texas called Kingsville. Okay, I grew up in Dallas. So uh, is Kingsville kind of between Houston and Beaumont, or it's between or it... Houston and the the Valley. So it's it's oh, okay. Corpus Christi. Oh, other side. Okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Many many of us displaced Texans somehow. Uh, <laughs> you know, end up all over the country and elsewhere in the world, but um, yeah. yeah but <laughs> That's right, so I'm in California right now, which means I'm not, uh, I, I don't have to deal with the, the winter weather that you guys are, uh, are wrestling with. I'm in Florida, mm -hmm. and I'm you're, good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, but, and you're also currently um, in the Bay Area MSRI, so you are also not on fire right now. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. Correct. That's right. I'm at the Math Sciences Research Institute, and there's a semester here, a program going on in geometric and topological combinatorics. Cool. Yeah, so that must be nice. Is this your, um, it's not too long after the end of your presidency of the Mathematical Association of America, so it must be nice to be able to uh, not have those responsibilities and be able to just focus on research at MSRI this semester. That's right. It was a, a way of popping back into doing uh, research after a, a couple of years uh, doing some fun work for the for the uh, MAA. So, what is your favorite theorem? We would love to hear it. Yeah, you know, I I, I went a, a, around and around with this because as mathematicians we have lots of favorite theorems, but I, I think the one I kept coming back to was the Brouwer fixed point theorem. Oh, I love this theorem. Yeah. So the the Brouwer fixed point theorem is an amazing theorem. It's about a hundred years old. Uh, it's sorts of unexpected places, but what it uh, loosely says is that if you have a continuous function from a ball to itself, and I'll say what a ball means in a minute, mm -hmm. uh, it must have a fixed point, uh, a, a point that doesn't move. Mm -hmm. And a ball could be anything that basically has no holes. Mm -hmm. So right. anything you could make out of clay without punching a hole in it, basically, or, or snaking it around and attaching two ends of it together. I'm gesturing with my hands. That's very helpful for our podcast listeners. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And we don't even... We're going to be very... Yeah. We don't even need convexity, right? I mean, you can just have some kind of dimpled blob and it still works. 
That's right. That's yeah. right. It, it could be a, a blob with a funny shape as long as it uh, can be deformed to something that's a ball and a ball has no holes. Then, uh, then we, then the theorem applies. Yeah. And a continuous function would be one way to think about a continuous function from a ball to itself is let's let's deform this blob, and as long as we deform the blob so the blob stays inside itself, then there's a point that doesn't move. A very popular way of describing this theorem is if you take a cup of coffee, and let's say I, I have a cup of coffee and I take a picture of it. If I then slosh the coffee around in a continuous fashion and then take another picture, there is going to be a point in the coffee that is in the same spot in both pictures. Mm -hmm. Might have moved around in between, but it's, there's going to be a point that's in the same spot in both pictures. And if I move that point out of its original position, I can't help but move some other point into its original position. Yeah, it, almost like a reverse diagonalization where in diagonalization you show that there's a problem because like, you know, any anything that you thought you could get on your list, you, you show that something else, you know, even if you stick it on your list, something else is not on the list still. Here you're saying even if you, you think, well, if I just had one fixed point, I could move it and then I wouldn't have any. You say, well, no, you can't do that without adding some other fixed point. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so I that's a... The, uh, the, the, the coffee cup uh, sloshing example is a nice, a nice one because you can see that if I, if I take the, 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 the cup of coffee and I just empty it and pour the, the, the liquid somewhere else, clearly there's not going to be a fixed point. So right. you, you sort of see the necessity of having the ball, the coffee, get mapped to itself. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you had a donut-shaped cup of coffee, this would not be true, right? You could, you could swirl it around longitudinally. That's right. Fixed. Yeah. That's right. If we had a donut-shaped coffee mug, yeah. we could. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the continuity is kind of interesting. I guess another way I like to think about this theorem is if you take a map of Texas and <laughs> you couple it up and throw it down somewhere in Texas, there is a point in the map that's exactly above the point it represents in Texas. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of a two-dimensional version of this theorem. And you see the necessity of continuity because if I tore the map in two pieces and threw East Texas into West Texas and West Texas into East Texas, uh, it wouldn't be true that there'd be a point that's exactly above the point it represents. So c continuity is really important in this theorem as well. Right. You know, for fun, I put the one-dimensional version of this on as a bonus question on a calculus test this semester. Oh, yeah? I like, uh, uh, I, I like that version. Are you referring to... Graphing uh, this one-dimensional function. Well, right. So if you if you have a continuous map from the unit interval to itself, it has a fixed point, right? And and this 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 case is nice because it's just a consequence of the intermediate value theorem. Yes, that's a that's a great one. Love yeah. that. Yeah, but in higher dimensions, you need a little more firepower. Right. Right. So, yeah. So th this is a fun theorem because it it has all sorts of maybe surprising applications. Um, one of them uh, being well. I, sort of told you the popular version of one with, with coffee. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it, it can be used, for instance, to prove that uh, prove the fundamental theorem of algebra, that uh, every polynomial has a, a, a root in the complex numbers. Oh, interesting. I don't think I knew that. I'm trying to think of that proof. Yeah, so, yeah, so the, the idea here is that if you think about 
a polynomial as a function, and uh, and you think of this as a function uh, on the complex plane, basically takes uh, this the, a two-dimensional region like Texas and maps it in in some fashion on back onto the plane, mm -hmm. uh, and you can show that there's a there's a region in this uh, in this map that gets sent to itself, roughly speaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's one way to think about what's going on, and then the existence of a of a uh, a zero corresponds to uh, a fixed point of a continuous function, which I haven't named, but but that's sort of the idea. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting! That's nice. It's it's so cool how, at least if I'm remembering correctly, all the proofs. I know of the fundamental theorem of algebra are topological, and it's nice, mm -hmm. I think, for topology to get to, uh, you know, throw an assist to algebra. With, you know, algebra has helped topology so much. Right. Um, yeah. 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 I, I love that too. I, I mean, I, I guess I'm attracted to, to topology because it says a lot of things that are interesting about existence of, of certain things that have to happen. Uh, and you know, one of the things that's going on at this program here at MSRI, as the name implies, geometric and topological combinatorics, is people are thinking about how to use topology to solve problems in combinatorics, which seems strange. Combinatorics feels like it just has to do with with, with counting the three objects. Right. Uh, yeah. Combinatorics feels very discrete, and topology is very continuous and how how do you get that to trans translate across that boundary? Yeah, it, um, that's really interesting. And there's a I give you another example of sort of surprising uh, application uh, in the 1970s. Well, actually, pe people studied a, this game called Hex for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I guess Hex is uh, probably developed in the 40s or 50s. You can think of it as uh, a, a game that's played on a hexagonal on a board with hexagonal tiles, mm -hmm. uh, a diamond-shaped board, and two players X and O take turns playing X or O, and you're trying to construct a chain from one side of the board to the other mm -hmm. to the opposite side. And it turns out that the Brouwer fixed point theorem. Well, okay, so you might ask the question: Can that game ever end in a draw in a draw configuration where nobody wins? Right. Uh, and you know, for large boards, it's not uh, not so obvious that the game can't end in a draw. But uh, in uh, a spectacular application of the Brouwer fixed point theorem, uh, Gale showed that can't end in a draw using the Brouwer fixed point theorem. Right. Oh, that's so cool! That is cool. And allegedly, yeah. allegedly, this game was invented by John Nash in the men's room floor at Princeton, right? So. Yes, there's some story like that. Although I, I think it actually uh, really dates back to uh, somebody before. Um, Probably, yeah. But it's yes. a good story, right? Because Nash is so famous. And, uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So was it love at first sight with uh, Brouwer fixed point theorem for you, or you know, how did you come across it and grow to love it? I uh, so I, I guess I encountered it first as an undergraduate in college. When a professor of mine, uh, a topology professor of mine, showed me this theorem, and he showed me a combinatorial way to prove the Brouwer fixed point theorem using something known as Sperner's lemma, uh, and so yeah, there's there's another sort of connection between topology and combinatorics, and I, I really appreciated the way that you could use combinatorics to prove something in topology. Cool. Very cool. 
So, you know, part of our show is we like to uh, ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. Um, so what have you chosen to pair the Brouwer fixed point theorem with? I, uh, I'd like to pair it with, uh, with parlor games. So okay. think of a game like chess or you think of a game like um, rock, paper, scissors. Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out that the Brouwer fixed point theorem is also related to the question of how you play a game optimally, uh, a game like chess or a game like rock, paper, scissors optimally. Oh, yeah. So, oh. So, so, so how do you get the optimal strategy for chess from the Brouwer fixed point theorem? <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good question. So the Brouwer fixed point theorem can't tell you that what the optimal strategy is. Just that but, it exists, right, yeah. <laughs> but it tells you that, that there is actually a, a, a pair of optimal strategies that, that players can play to play the game optimally. So what I'm referring to is something known as the Nash equilibrium theorem. Mm. The, the, Nash makes another appearance uh, in this segment. Mm -hmm. uh, and what Nash showed is that if you have a game, well, there's this concept called the Nash equilibrium. Uh, and this, this, the, the question Nash asked is, you know, if you're given, if you're looking at some game, can you predict how players are going to play this game? That's one question. Uh, can you prescribe how players should play this game? That's another question. And uh, a third question is, can you describe why players play a game a certain way? So there's mm -hmm. the prediction, prescription, and description of the games that, that mathematicians and economists have gotten interested in. And what Nash proposed is, in fact, something called an equilibrium is, is probably the best way to describe or prescribe or predict how people are going to play a game. And the idea of a Nash equilibrium is very simple. It's just players playing uh, strategies that are mutually best responses to each other. And it turns out that if you allow what are called mixed strategies, every game, every finite game has an equilibrium, which is kind of surprising. It suggests that you can maybe suggest to people what the best course of action is to play. But there is some pair of strategies by both players or by all players if it's a multiplayer game, uh, that that actually are mutually best mutual best replies, that people are not going to have an incentive to change their strategy by looking at the other strategies. You know, the Brouwer fixed point theorem is so strange because it's, it's one of those um, existence things. You know, It just says, yeah, there is a fixed point. And we, we tend to prove it by contradiction, usually, or something. Um, and, and there's not really any good constructive proofs. I mean, I guess you could, you could sort of just pick a point and start iterating, and then yeah. by, by compactness, what it converges to is a fixed point. But that doesn't really help yeah. in some sense, right? Yeah, so there, there is actually, this is maybe a little surprising as well, this, this theorem that I mentioned learning as an undergrad, uh, it's called Sperner's Lemma, mm -hmm. the combinatorial proof of graphics point there. Um, Sperner, Sperner's Lemma actually has a constructive proof Mm -hmm. In the sense that there's an efficient way of finding the object, the combinatorial object that corresponds to a fixed point. Surprising is that you can actually, in many cases, use this, this constructive combinatorial proof mm -hmm. to actually find or get close to a proposed fixed point. Mm, very cool. And so that's kind of led to a whole bunch of research in the last uh, 40 years or so in various areas to try to come up with constructive versions of things that prior uh, prior to that people always thought of as non-constructive. 
Oh, that's so cool. You know, I, I must admit, I did not have proper appreciation for the Brouwer fixed point theorem before. So I'm very glad we had you on because I, I guess I kind of saw it as just kind of this novelty theorem because, you know, you see it often as like that you crumple up the map or you um, like do these little tricks, but like, okay, why did I really care that I could crumple up a map? Like, yeah, I didn't didn't see all of these connections to these other points. So I, I am sorry to the Brouwer fixed point theorem for not properly <laughs> uh, appreciating it before now. <laughs> yes, well, it's definitely, I, I think belongs on, on a top 10 list of all time theorems of mathematics. I, I, I wonder how many other mathematicians would agree. So I read this book once and the author is escaping me and I'm, I'm embarrassed because it's on my shelf in my other office it's called Five Golden Rules. Have you ever seen this book? It was maybe 10, 15 no. years ago. Uh, and, and one of the theorems, it was like five big theorems in mathematics. And one of them was the Brouwer fixed point theorem. And yeah, it is, it's actually a, a sort of fundamental importance to, to know that you have fixed points for maps. I mean, they are really important things. But the application he pointed to was to, um, to football ranking schemes, right? There are, because um, that's clearly important, right? Um, <laughs> college football ranking schemes in which, uh, in essence, you're looking for an eigenvector of something. And an eigenvector is a fixed point, you know, with eigenvalue one. And... Um, uh, of course, the details are escaping me now, but this, this book exists out there, and it's actually really well done. Five Golden Rules and the author. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll yeah. find that and, and put yeah. the author name in the show notes yep. for sure. Yep. Yeah. I, I haven't heard of that. I should, I should look that one up. Yeah, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's good stuff. I'll just mention this Nash theorem. Uh, the, the, the basic idea behind uh, using a bar fixed point theorem to prove it is, is pretty simple to describe. It's that if you look at the set of all uh, collections of strategies the players could play, mm -hmm. uh, if they're what are called mixed strategies allowing randomization, then uh, in fact that space is a ball. And oh. uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then the cool thing is if players have an incentive to deviate, have to change their strategies, that suggests a direction in which each point could move. Mm -hmm. uh, you move a, 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 each point as a collection of strategies, mm -hmm. and if, if they want to deviate, it suggests a motion uh, of the ball to itself. Mm -hmm. And the fact that uh, that ball has a fixed point, that mm -hmm. there's a place where nobody is incentivized to change their strategy. Yeah. Well, this is, well, I've learned a lot. This is, uh, I mean, and I, and I even knew about the Brower fixed point theorem, but uh, uh, it's nice to know these extra applications. I guess I should go learn more combinatorics. That's my takeaway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show, Francis. If people want to find you, uh, there are a few places online that they can find you, right? Um, you're, you're on Twitter and we'll put a link to your Twitter in the show notes. And uh, you also have a blog and I'm sorry, I just forgot what it's called. <laughs> the Mathematical Yacht. Okay. Yeah. We'll put that uh, in the, the show notes and link. I know um, a lot of posts that, that I've read of yours that I've really appreciated, especially the ones about, um, you know, helping helping students thrive at, you know, viewing math as a, a way for humans to uh, grow as people and, and helping all our student all students access uh, that realm of, of learning and growth. So um, those I know have been influential in the math community and definitely very, uh, fun to read and hear. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. It's been fun chatting with you guys. Mm -hmm.
Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lamb. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chao Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at My Favorite Theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics. <laughs>